0: Romans chapter number five, there's any one book of the Bible that Christians really need to delve into and study and know uh, beyond the Gospels, it's the book of Romans. It is the most heavily doctrinal book. If you've got a good grasp of Romans, it's going to set you on a good course for life and that pleases the Lord. And uh, one of the doctrines that it it tells us much about is the doctrine of grace. And We're going to look at that this morning. Uh, And the thought this morning is for by grace we live. Uh, Without grace we uh, aren't going to get anywhere. And so we're not saved but by the grace of God. And we can't live for Christ but by the grace of God. And I hope that that will become evident and clear through the message this morning. I would ask you to listen on purpose. Uh, I'm going to preach again tonight. So I'm... I'm going to try to be a little bit more reserved and preserve my voice to get through the whole day today, Uh, and so it's going to be, some of this is going to maybe be a little bit technical, tedious, especially in definition, but we'll move past that fairly quickly, but it's important that we grasp and understand what grace truly is biblically, and so that we know how it works in our life and how it should work in our life. Uh, And so we're going to look, I think in the notes you've got beginning in verse number 12, but uh, as I've looked at this more and prayed about, I'm going to go ahead and back all the way up to verse number one. Uh, and So if you <clears throat> are relying on your handouts, it'll take a, just a minute for you to catch up there. And so Romans chapter number five, uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, just listen closely. Uh, think about the words of what we read. Let them soak in and absorb. I'm not going to read through them quickly. I'm going to want, I am going want them to kind of settle in our hearts so that we understand what God Uh, is trying to communicate to us through the Apostle Paul here in the fifth chapter of Romans. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, "...knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die." But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For under the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses... (laughs) Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace of the gift of the righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men unto condemnation, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death... Even so, might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time. Bless your word. May we be attentive unto it. Holy Spirit, may you have liberty and freedom to work in our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you talk about grace in this day and age, you you look at it and you get a lot of different ideas, a lot of answers. And there's a difference between the way that someone would define it and the way that someone would practically live it. Uh, For example, a carnal Christian, grace to a carnal Christian is an excuse to just go and do whatever they want to justify their sin and to not feel guilty about it or convicted by it. Uh, To a spiritual Christian, grace will always compel you to do more. It will always compel you to become more, to walk closer to the Lord, to seek more of him. Uh, My goal this morning really is to just kind of communicate what grace really is. What is grace? What is it that God has intended for us to understand? And I think that most of us here this morning would have the realization and understanding that we are saved today by grace through faith. Uh, and so I know when I was a young kid, I, I get confused about that sometimes. And, uh, and it's, but it's really very simple. It's very easy to understand. The Bible makes it very plain. We're saved by the grace of God. But it is the faith that God gives us that accesses that grace that we might be saved. Don't you to notice in our text here in verse number two, uh, whenever he says here, by whom also... We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And so grace is a gift from God. It's of God. It's necessary to live successfully the Christian life. It's the only way that we have to salvation. uh, But the only way that we can access it is through faith. And without faith, I have no access to the grace of God. I must exercise uh, faith. And so then, what exactly is grace? It's salvation, is salvation its sole purpose? I say this morning that it's not. Without grace, we cannot live the lives that God wants us to live. So what's so special about it outside of salvation? And I want to look at some things about that this morning. I want you to notice this morning the frequency with which the words grace, the grace is used, especially in the beginning and the closing of the New Testament books of the Bible. Uh, And I'm going to read several of them for you. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 24 states, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 2. Grace be to you. And peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Uh, amen. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians six eighteen, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Ephesians chapter one and verse number two: Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians six twenty four: Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, begin and end with grace. Hebrews ends with grace. First and second Peter begin and end with grace. Second John begins with grace. Revelation begins and ends with grace. The word of God ends with grace. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. When we look at the concept of grace it would seem on the surface, well, Pastor, the, the passages that you read uh, are simply salutations. They're just greetings and goodbye. They're hellos and goodbyes. And so on the surface, it would seem that way. Uh, but if you look a little deeper, you come to understand uh, that grace uh, and the and the point of grace is much deeper than that. Uh, in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, there's an extensive... Definition that's given for grace. We have all kinds of uh, terms and definitions for grace. We talk about them frequently. Uh, some of them are in acrostic form and none of them are wrong. Uh, they're all communicating what grace is. But I want you to consider the depth of the word this morning. Grace uh, is the free unmerited love and favor of God. It's not just the love of God bestowed. It is the favor of God granted. So whenever I would say that I am in God's grace or in God's good graces, that means that I am in the favor of my Father in heaven. That's an important concept of the Christian life. Uh, It it is that when we are granted grace to salvation, that salvation changes our life, it saves our soul, it embeds the Holy Spirit in our heart to be the earnest of our salvation. But it's more than that. It is uh, the love and the favor of God. It is the spring and the source of all the benefits that men receive from God. We receive nothing but by the grace of God. We are not able to comprehend. We are not able to embrace. We are not able to live out the concepts of Scripture apart from the grace of God. Uh, It also, by definition, means the favorable influence of God. And you stop and you think about, we talk about the grace of God. It is God's influence in my life. It is the influence of the spirit within me in renewing the heart and in restraining from sin. A Christian that is walking in the grace of God has a spirit and a heart that is renewed on a daily basis and the effect of grace in my life is not to endorse or to make it free for me to go out and sin against God. And the contrary is true. True grace by the Holy Spirit restrains me from sin. If I look at God and I understand his love and I understand his sacrifice and I understand the favor that he's granted me, a heart that loves him in return is compelled to appreciate, to acknowledge, and to live in that love and to seek to maintain that favor. And that's possible by the grace of God. It is the application of Christ's righteousness to the sinner. When we come to Christ, then what is imputed to us is not the penalty of our own sin, but the salvation and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed to the account or put upon the account. Of my sinful carcass uh, and my sinful state I am not standing before God when I stand in the grace of Christ uh, and claiming that I am righteous I am standing a sinner condemned that is covered by the blood of Christ in his righteousness uh, and so that's the grace of God it is a state of being reconciled to God now I want you to notice it by definition here we're talking about two different fragments of life Uh, And so we're going to look at some scripture in a moment that's going to, that we'll need to understand the distinction here. But once I've been trusted, Jesus Christ as my Savior by faith and received the grace of God, I am born again into his family. Nothing can ever change that. I cannot fall from grace in the sense of that I am no longer saved. However, I want you to consider the definition that says uh, that the part of the definition that says that it is to be in the unmerited love and favor of God. I can as a Christian fall from grace in the sense that I fall out of God's favor. I've not fallen from salvation. I've fallen from favor. That's an important distinction because there's a lot of confusion about that in churches today. There are a lot of denominational confusion about that. There are a lot of folks that would take that one simple concept and say that if you do not continually uh, live righteous in Christ Jesus, that God will revoke your salvation. That's simply not true. That's not biblical. But it is right biblically for me to say that I am out of favor of my Father in heaven, that I'm not in His favor, and I am not living in his blessing. Uh, and so when you see that in the scripture, you have to understand the context of its presentation. Are we talking about someone who is God is trying to make the point that, hey, I'm taking away my gift? No, he never does that. It's a gift. It's been bestowed. Uh, it can never be revoked. But does God revoke his favor? Clearly he does. If we live in rebellion, we will not live in the favor and the blessing uh, of God. And so it is a state of reconciliation to God. And then it is a virtuous disposition proceeding from divine influence. It is God's divine influence upon our lives and our hearts that is then reflected in the way that we live. If I'm living in the grace of God, then I am under divine influence. I am influenced by the word of God. I am influenced by my devotional life. I am influenced by the preaching of the word of God. I am influenced by my my communion with God and my, my talking with God and allowing God to speak to me by the Holy Spirit working within my heart and revealing to me the truth of God and bringing conviction whenever I sin it is that divine influence on the heart that then is reflected or made manifest in the life the disposition that proceeds from that divine influence and then uh, it is spiritual instruction It is improvement or edification. So when we talk about grace and the concept of uh, that I am going to show grace to a brother or sister in Christ, uh, then I am going to edify them. Uh, I'm going to instruct them. Uh, For example, if you have someone that you're working with that you've led to Christ or that you're discipling, uh, and as you go through discipleship, you're you're giving instruction. Sometimes that means you have to gently rebuke something that's not understood or that's a sinful act uh, and make a biblical case for why that is offensive to God so that God can work in the heart in turn. And it's appropriate for the pastor or for an evangelist to come to the pulpit and thunder out against sin. It's never appropriate for an individual to get in someone's face and thunder against sin. Matter of fact, and we'll look at the verse here uh, a little more closely in just a little bit, uh, but the Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, let your speech be Always with grace, seasoned with salt. It never says that your speech should be salt, seasoned with grace. Too many Christians today are too salty. And they're, uh, they're, they're real quick to self-righteously point out the faults and the failures and the sin of everyone else. Uh, that's not your place. That's God's place not saying that if you're in a close relationship with someone, you're discipling someone, uh, you're a Sunday school teacher and someone is making some bad decisions, that it's inappropriate for you in for, for you love to pull them aside uh, and to point some things out to them and make a biblical case. But ultimately, what they do with that is between them and the Spirit of God. But it's right for the pastor to get up. It's right for an evangelist to get up in a revival meeting and thunder against sin. And I'll thunder against sin up here, but if I see you doing at Walmart what I preach to get some, uh, Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, I'm not going to come and confront you about it and say, I just preached about it on Sunday. What do you think you're doing? And people act like that sometimes. I- I've had that happen where I- I've seen someone, uh, I've had a deacon one time, uh, not in our church here, praise the Lord, uh, but I-, I pulled up to drop something off. His wife was my secretary. And when I first went to, uh, first went to Arkansas and, I pulled in the driveway to drop something off. She had been sick, and she needed to drop something off at the hotel, so I was saving her some time, and I just dropped it off, and her deacon husband was out weed-eating in his driveway, and and he was smoking a cigarette whenever I pulled around the corner. And when he saw me, you would have thought that cigarette was about that long. And I'm confident that he burned the inside of his arm trying to hide it from me. And I saw it from a mile away. And I never, I saw the smoke coming up behind his head like he thought I was stupid. I couldn't see that or something. Uh, I never said anything to him. but I never acknowledged him. We talked about it later, but I didn't come down on him there. Uh, and one time a, a lady that was uh, in Walmart. And she was uh, not really modestly dressed. And uh, she saw me coming. And she turned around. She hid for me for 30 minutes. And so she would duck every aisle that I was going through. Listen, I'm not going to come to somebody that that, that's not my place I'm not I'm not God's cop I'm not God's police officer and neither are you and we understand grace is not saying that sin is okay but it's understanding that grace we're, we're not to be salty I have no problem being salty it's kind of my nature uh, and in some ways, it's, it's, uh, in some context, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that you're seasoned and experienced. And, uh, but in the context of uh, being, being hateful and ugly and unkind, it's not a good, no Christian should be salty in that manner. And, but a lot of times we say, well, I'm just standing for righteousness. No, you're violating the biblical principle. Let your speech be always grace. My speech, not my preaching, my speech. There's a difference. Understand the context. Uh, and so, and even preaching should be being in love and, and compassion. But that doesn't mean that we can't speak out strongly against things that are offensive to God. That should be done and it must be done. Grace, I would say then, is this. It is the single most important thing that God has bestowed upon man. That grace, without grace, we have nothing and we can be nothing that would honor or glorify God. So when we talk about this concept of grace and understanding the different aspects of it, I just want to look at some practical things this morning (coughs) about grace, excuse me, in our lives. Number one, I would say this, we need to understand the concept of saving grace. Grace that saves. We are not saved of our own. We cannot be good enough to be saved. We need... The Spirit of God, it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that made atonement for our sin, that cleanses us from sin, and it is the grace of God that makes that available to us if we'll accept it in faith. I want you to notice this morning, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, uh, and so you can either try to keep up. I would encourage you to just kind of jot things down. Most of these things I'm going to turn to, but I've got them marked, and I'm going to move quickly so that we don't get too bogged down, and this is a little bit technical, and so uh, at least as far as just making the biblical case here. And I want you to understand about salvation. Notice in verses 1 and 2, again in Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified by faith, but we have been uh, given peace through Jesus by whom also we have access again by faith under this grace. Wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so we stand hope in hope of salvation because of uh, the grace that God has bestowed upon us. So what is this about grace that we saw? How can we understand that salvation would be by grace? And, uh, and that it would not be the way that most church religion says that it is. All religion says uh, that salvation is by works. It's about what you have to do. It's about what you have to achieve. It's about uh, it's about a, a penance or uh, some act that you have to complete in order to receive God's forgiveness and salvation. But the problem is, is that that's anti-biblical. It doesn't matter what the church says if it defies God. Amen. What matters is the word of God. So I, that's why we are an independent Baptist church. Because we believe that the word of God is our is our sole uh, giver of of faith and practice. It's the sole authority. It is our authority comes from God. I have no authority as a pastor of Victory Baptist Church aside from the authority granted by the the word of God and positionally what it states. Same is true of other office holders in the church and the same is true of every Christian within the church. Uh, What we have, we have by the word of God, not by the doctrine of man that's given in the form of a church or religion. Uh, Religion will condemn people to hell uh, and does. Uh, And you can look at religion. It doesn't matter if it's a Christian religion or if it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or whatever it is. You can put any name you want on it. Uh, uh, Salvation apart from grace by faith uh, is is a work salvation that all boils down to the same thing. No matter what name you put on it. It means what I have to do to be right with God and acceptable to God, whatever name I call him by. But there's only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved, and that's the name Jesus Christ. And so he is our only hope. And so we see the concept of being saved by grace was foretold by the prophets in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 10. It says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The prophets told us uh, that salvation would be of grace. It was foretold by the prophets. It is then established by those that are humble. We are not to live in self-righteousness and arrogancy and pride. We are to live humbly before God and before our brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5 Likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. If you want grace, humble yourself before God and man. If I want to live in God's grace, I cannot live and stand in arrogancy and pride. Uh, and I cannot lead a church in pride. And a Sunday school teacher can't lead a class in pride. And a deacon can't lead the people that they minister to in pride. We must be led in humility. Why? Because that's God's way. Salvation is, is foretold by the prophets. It's established uh, for the humble and by the humble. And salvation is through grace. Salvation is not of our own. It's through grace. Acts chapter 15 in verse number 11. Paul and Barnabas and others are in Jerusalem uh, and preaching there. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. We are saved by grace this morning. Uh, salvation is through grace. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 24 says, being justified freely by his grace. That's nothing that we can do. Ephesians chapter uh, number two, and it's a familiar passage, one that we know, and uh, back up to verse number or chapter one first, Ephesians chapter one and verse seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of of his grace. God gives us salvation through grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from heaven. It is something that only God can give. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And so God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, God uh, says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we're saved through grace. How does God work that in our heart? How does he draw us in that life? It's through his grace that we're drawn. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. At some point... All men are exposed to the grace of God. They may not understand it. They may not see it. In many cases, I believe that we as God's children will be held accountable by God that they didn't see it because our lives didn't show it. And if our lives had showed it, they would have caught on as they searched for God and as they longed for him. Sanctified uh, the, or saving, uh, the saving grace of God. It was foretold, it was established, And it is, and our salvation is through that grace. I want you to consider secondly today sanctifying grace. Grace is not something that God gave us just for salvation. I want you to notice in our text in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now tribulation is not something anybody likes. When I mean, you get biblically speaking about tribulation and patience, most Christians say, "I'm never going to pray for that. I don't want that. I don't want it because that means, that means suffering or discomfort or troubles or struggles, but I want you to notice what those things produce. He says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also uh, glory in the tribulation. I want you to notice he's not glorying that he's in tribulation, but in the tribulation, he's glorying because he acknowledges that in my struggle, God is working in my life. In my struggle, God is revealing himself to me. In my struggle, God is making manifest to me his power and his glory in my life. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. A patience, a willingness for me to look and to wait on God and to search for him. Uh, and to grow in him and patience experience. We go through those struggles and we gain experience. Why is that important? Because experience reveals to us God and his power and and his wisdom and his glory. And if I don't experience that, I'll never understand it. I'll never understand God and his person. I'll never understand God and how he works and experience hope. I'll never have hope in Christ to turn to him if I never experience him and I cannot experience him if I never go through a struggle. If nothing points out to me that I'm a sinner, if nothing causes me to feel shame, if nothing causes me to see that I have a need, then what do I need God for? But when I'm in struggle and when I'm burdened and when my heart is broken and when my life is empty and I'm going through the hardships or the tribulations of life and it causes me to wait and to search for God. And as God reveals himself to me, I experience him in a real and powerful way. It gives me hope that God is real and alive and the Bible is true. God. And God gives us faith. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, what we're talking about here is grace to live what God has told us in his word. Because if I, if I lack faith, the word of God will give me faith. But it's the experience of living in faith that causes God to reveal himself to me. And it's the grace that he gives to endure that brings himself prevalent in our lives that helps us to understand and hope in the great salvation that Christ has provided and that God can use our lives. It's sanctifying grace. It's not a grace that God gave just to save and then that was it. It's grace that God gives that will help us to abound in the Christian life. And patience, experience and experience hope in verse five. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When do we need Jesus? When we're without strength. When we stand in our own strength. We'll never see our need. But we stand without strength. When we can't stand on our own. When we need assistance. When we have to be. uh, Get treatment. What we understand is that. In the experiencing of this. And the grace bestowed in this. God gives hope. And it's sanctifying grace. Grace that is not. That is not uh, that is not withheld. God gives us the grace that we need to face the trials and tribulation uh, of the day. The Bible tells us that sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There is plenty of evil out there, and there is plenty of grace that's given by God for us to overcome it. When we understand what God is saying in sanctifying grace, I want you to notice in Second Corinthians uh, in chapter number nine, the Second Corinthians chapter number nine in verse number eight. Uh, The Bible tells us there, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. If I want to abound to every good work, if I want God to be real and alive in my life, I have to allow the grace of God to be given to me. I must seek him and I must uh, come to him searching for it. Grace is abounding toward me and I then can abound in grace. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, he says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. We need to be walking and abounding in the grace of God. We need to understand, as the Apostle Paul said, that it is the grace of God that shapes us and molds us into what we are. Notice what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse number 10, uh, when he he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, uh, when he says, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. See, God's grace upon the Apostle Paul didn't cause him to do less. It caused him to do more. It didn't inspire him to... To stay on uh, a, a, an everlasting vacation until he came into the presence of God, but to pour himself out for the glory of God and to work in the hearts uh, of those that God uh, put in his path. It is sanctifying grace. It is grace uh, that abounds in us, that makes us what we are. Listen, I cannot live in the grace of God and stay in my sin. Yeah. It's not possible. I cannot live in God's favor and live in sin. That's not to say that we'll not sin, we'll sin. But if I actively, willingly know that a course of action in my life is sinful and I disregard God and embrace the sin, then I'm going to lose the favor of God. And in that sense, I'm going to, in a manner of speaking, fall from grace. My salvation is intact, but the favor of God is no longer intact in my life. The grace of God will sustain me through life and will give me power for life sanctifying grace sanctifying simply means set apart for god's use god has set us apart for himself we should be sanctified from the world why because we're not for the world we're for god we're not for the world's consumption we're for god's glorification sanctifying grace we see thirdly i want you to see the concept of serving grace Notice again in verses 3 through 6 of Romans chapter 5 when he talks about that sequence. uh, Whenever he talks about we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation works patience, patience experience and experience hope. Serving grace. It is a virtuous disposition from divine influence. Grace that serves is a grace that lives out the influence of God in our heart and in our life. And what God's doing inwardly is then reflected outwardly. It's not mere words and mere lip service, but it's actual pure religion lived out as James spoke it. It is living true. It is an unfeigned faith that pleases and honors God. It is a a faith that helps us to grow in his grace. I want you to notice about this serving grace. uh, The the apostle Paul says, or Luke, um, excuse me, writes in Acts chapter uh, number 13. In verse number 43, uh, that they were persuaded uh, to continue in grace, the grace that God gives. We can live in it or we can go our own way away from God. They're persuaded to continue uh, in grace. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They were persuaded to continue. Am I allowing the grace of God to, to persuade me to continue? Am I allowing the sermons preached from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church to persuade me to continue? Or have I, uh, have I rejected what's given if it goes against what I want to do in my flesh and in my wisdom? I'm not saying the pastor stands up and says, hey, uh, you know, Brother Mike, it's the will of God for you to do this. And, uh, and Kyle, it's the will of God for you to do that. And, uh, and Rebecca, it's the will of God for you to do this. That's not my place. But all of us should come, no matter who's standing behind the pulpit and preaching, and say, God, whatever you show me, let me be humble and submit myself to your grace and your leading. Amen. Even if it goes against what I want, what I've predetermined is the right course and what I've justified in my life is the right course of action. Continue in grace. By the way, when we're continuing grace, we're not living for self, but we're investing and we're helping others. In Acts chapter number 18, uh, in verse number 27, Apollos is at Ephesus and it says, And when he was disposed to pass to, into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. What's he doing? He's helping. Grace helps. Grace is about helping others. Grace is about reflecting what others have given. And in Acts 18, 27, Barnabas gives that, or Apollos gives that example. Serving grace. We have today grace to be saved. We have grace to be set apart and sanctified for God. We have grace to serve the Lord in his power and his strength and not our own. And then fourthly and finally this morning, we have grace to stay. Stay in grace. God doesn't want us to be here today and gone tomorrow. He doesn't want us to be faithfully living and and under the influence and the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit and the scripture today and going and doing things according to the way of the world tomorrow. God wants us to stay put in his grace, to stay put in his favor, to stay put under his leadership, to stay put in his hope, stay in grace. It is that renewing of the heart and the restraining from sin that we talked about. When God and the love of Christ constrain us from sin, hold us back, it, it prevents us from sinning. The grace of God does not endorse my sin, it restrains me from sin. And if I look at God and love God and understand what grace truly is, I can never say, you know, I've got the grace of God to go out and do all these things that contradict the scripture. I would be convicted and, my gra- and God's grace would draw me back to him. Stay in grace. I want you to consider that that grace from God is not limited, it is not fleeting, it is not hard to come by but that it is a grace that is abundant. In 1 Timothy uh, in chapter number 1 in verse number 14 uh, the Bible tells us there, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. We have to access faith by grace, Right? Our, our text made that pretty clear. By whom we have access by faith into this grace. I want you to notice again 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and wit and love which is in Christ Jesus. The faith that I need is given by the grace of God. Isn't this the amazing thing about God? I need to be drawn by him. His grace draws me. I need to be humbled and repent of my sin. His grace convicts me. I need to uh, come to God relying that nothing that I can do can save me. His grace provides salvation. And he makes it clear that I have to access it by faith. And not only does his grace make all of that available to me, but his grace gives me the very faith that I need to access his grace. God does everything for us. God's made all of it. If we'll hunt for him and search for him, his grace will find us. His grace will lead us. His grace will guide us. His grace is not limited. It's abundant. He says again in verse 14 here, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith. It's abundant grace. Not only was Timothy to have that abundant grace, but he was to be strong in grace. goes back to let our speech be always seasoned with grace. Why? Because it's hard to let your speech be seasoned with grace. It's a whole lot easier to lash out in the flesh than it is to stay controlled under the control of the spirit of God and to speak in grace. You should have noticed that he's speaking to a young pastor here in Second Timothy in chapter two and verse one. He's not telling him to go and to, uh, to berate. He's telling him to let your grace. He's telling him to go in grace. Let your grace be strong. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. In verse number 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. Be strong. Every Christian should be, have a desire to be strong in grace. And then we should be mindful that if we're strong in grace and God's grace is abundant, that if God is trying to abundantly bestow his grace upon us, to live a life that puts us and keeps us in his favor and that God can use to reach others, then we want to be careful that we don't live in such a way that we frustrate that grace. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Galatians chapter uh, number 2 begins speaking about that uh, in earnest. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes here uh, in Galatians chapter number 2 in verse number 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If I live or preach a gospel that says that I must do because I've got to satisfy the law, then the death of Christ is of no account. It's wasted. It was pointless. But because he's the only way, the grace of God has bestowed himself upon us. Listen, if I go out and live in a way that's contrary to the gospel, I'm frustrating the gospel. Why? Because I'm the letter of God written to, that others will read. When we go and we live to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to people that we shop with and that we interact with whenever we go, where the places that we go in life. If my life is, is the antithesis of what the Christian life should be, then I'm coming to a place where I'm frustrating the very sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the grace of God. I don't want to live in a way that frustrates the gospel that frustrates the grace of God as it's given. Notice in Galatians chapter number 1. Uh, in verse number 6 he says. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So many that get saved and then flee to a more flesh friendly type of religion and church service. Rather than sticking with what God used to bring them to the knowledge of him. And to live for Him and to honor and glorify Him. In Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 4, the Apostle Paul writes there uh, and says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Not saying here fallen from grace is out of God's favor. This is they they didn't fall from grace here because they made some change in their life. They were already they were born in a in a state of fallen from grace. You understand we are born in condemnation. We are not in the grace of God when we're born, but the grace of God draws us to Him. And the point that he's making here is he's saying, he's saying Christ has become of no effect unto you. The message of the gospel is no effect unto you because you're determined to get saved your own way. Because you're determined to embrace another gospel. You are justified by the law. If you want to be justified, if I want to be justified by the law, if I want to be justified by religion, by baptism, by, uh, by communion, by church attendance, by this, that, or the other, if I want to be justified by that, then I am fallen from grace. I am staying and I'm remaining in my fallen state, unsaved. But if I'll come to Christ in faith, notice that he says, uh, in the verse preceding for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law to do the whole law Christ has become of no effect unto you soever you have justified by the law you are fallen from grace for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith that faith that comes by God listen don't frustrate the grace of God I don't want to be the kind of Christian that lives my life frustrating the grace of God I don't want to be the the kind that that is in and out of God's favor all the time. I want to get in the favor of my Heavenly Father and I want to stay there. I want to live in God's power and God's blessing. I want to walk with Him. I want to commune with Him. I want to speak to Him. I don't want to live with Him and never have a conversation. I want to never open my heart and, and, and hear what God has to say. I want to be open to whatever God has for me. And God tells us, don't fall. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. What's the result of a Christian not living in grace? The result of a Christian that lives outside of the grace of God. Again, not in terms of salvation, but in terms of having God's favor. The Christian that lives and uses grace as an excuse. He says that we fail of the grace of God. And when we fail of the grace of God, a root of bitterness springs up in our life. If you're a bitter Christian this morning, perhaps the grace of God is failing failing in your life. Perhaps you need to renew that grace of God in your life. Again, the grace of God that saved you is there forever. But I need to confess my sin and be drawn back to the grace of God. And the beauty of it is, it's the very grace that I lack that's drawing me back to repentance. That I might come to him and turn my life to him and and glorify him again don't fall. And then it's grace to help. In Hebrews chapter 4, and verse number 16, he tells us there uh, that let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If I need help to repent from my sin this morning, that grace can be found at the throne of God. If I need help, to come to Christ and to put my faith and trust in Him and to become His child this morning, grace to salvation is available to you. And the very grace that you need to bestow salvation upon you is that very grace that's compelling you in your heart right now to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. The grace of God gives us all that we need at all times. Again, Colossians chapter 4 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man." How should I answer every man? With grace. Doesn't mean I don't speak the truth. It's to be seasoned with salt. But too much salt is a bad thing. You can never have too much grace, but you can't have too much salt. Let your speech be always seasoned, always with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Why? Because grace is life. Grace is life. Why am I saved this morning? The grace of God. How do I stay saved? The grace of God. How do I know right from wrong? The grace of God. How do I know how to follow and interpret the Bible and live by its principles? The grace of God. I know there are other factors. God uses people. God uses his word. The Holy Spirit leads and guides and the grace of God manifests itself through him. But when it all boils down to the single most important aspect of God, his love is made manifest by his grace. His power is made manifest by his grace. His drawing of my soul is through his grace. His empowerment for us to live a life that's godly in Christ Jesus is through his grace. It's not by our power. It's not by our strength. It's the grace of God. And when I understand the importance of the grace of God and cling to it and understand how vitally important, isn't it amazing when things are so important that they're so heavily attacked? Cultures attacks the family, the God-given biblical family, because it wants to destroy it. Churches that want to live in their flesh and manipulate and control, they attack the grace of God. They twist it and manipulate it. They use it. We don't need it to be twisted and manipulated and used. We need to be humble and submitted to the God that loves us because His love gives us His grace and His grace draws us to Him and constrains us from sin so that our lives can be effective and abundant and abounding. His grace abounds and your life can abound too if you live in His grace.